0: Thank you so much for inviting us to spend this, um, you know, these, these couple of days with you. We've, we've absolutely loved it. It's been a great blessing for me and Becky to be here. And I really want to kind of commend you for um, just the way that people are so hungry and so willing to take a step outside the boat. So um, we will have the opportunity for a little bit of feedback, a bit of testimony in a moment, and it would be great just to come and hear some, some, some brief things that you know God's done that we, we can celebrate together. Um, First, I'm going to ask Tom to come and join us. So, what did you do this afternoon? Well, some of you were in here with Becky, and um, we had a really encouraging time of prophesying, encouragement over each other, so that we would know that we have the identity as unconditionally loved children of God. I know some of you went to the the amazing input on The Prophetic with Liz Evans over in Trinity House um, on Spirit Cafes. Um, Some of you went down to St Paul's for Soaking, and uh, I think about 12 were brave enough to go with Tom, get a little bit of training, and then go out on the streets. So just give us a bit of feedback on how that went.
1: Yeah, we had a wonderful time. It was really encouraging. It's always a bit terrifying, I think, when we first walk out on the streets from church. We think we're going to have to go and talk to people. I don't know what's going to happen. But always an hour later, we come back full of stories. And the highlight for me is afterwards just hearing and sharing some of the stories um, of what God's been doing. So I'd love to invite um, any of the, the guys who were there this afternoon who'd like to come and share, um, share a story of, of what God's done, just to come up and, and do that now. I think I spotted Will somewhere around, and I, probably, and I know that Will's up for, for sharing, and Dave's going to come Dave, up and share. Yes. I don't know if Rachel or Rebecca are here, or if anybody else wants to come up and share a story. Um, but just to encourage you of some of the things that we saw God doing this afternoon, Dave might kick off with you.
2: Uh, great, yeah, I, I went out with Roger and he's dibbed me in to, to share this one. Um, just, We had a number of different words about people as we went out and um, had a tough time trying to be bold about um, the, the things that we wanted to share, had a couple of flat refusals and conversations uh, and then had a really interesting conversation with a guy who, uh, who we spotted obviously had a problem with his foot, uh, nothing prophetic needed to, to see that. So we just had a conversation, asked him what, what the problem was, he showed us all this scar tissue on his leg and I said, look, we think God loves you. The Father in heaven loves you and he wants he wants to show that and, and one of the ways he can do that is through healing. Can we pray for your foot? And he was like, Yeah, yeah, we've got nothing else to do. It was kind of, yeah, we'll go for it. Um so I said, Can I put my hand on your foot? So I just I prayed it was one of the most amazing prayers ever, wasn't it, Roger? It was. <laughs> uh, it was just a really simple, basic prayer in Jesus' name, and I spoke to the spoke to the ankle and said, Be healed. Um and then we just asked him how it's feeling. He was like, Huh, oh, yeah, it feels feels better. And then he started talking about, it, and then he was like, mm, "Hang on a minute!" And it was, it, 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 I'm feeling a real tingly peace. And then it was he, and then he just apologised to us profusely and said, "I've got to get out of here. This is freaky," and starts walking <laughs> off. He just, it, it was too much for him, and he was, he was just freaking out. So we, so we had to chase him down the road just to give him some, like, look, if, look. We just told him all about Saint Paul's and what an amazing church it was. Uh, so if you. <laughs> Said, so, look, if you want to know more, head to head to St Paul's or Trinity and try to try to make sure that we still had contact with him. So um, yeah, so it's an amazing start. I think God bless them. Praise the Lord. Thank you, mate. There we go. <laughs> Round the <of> pause.
1: <laughs> Will, could you share a story? Yeah, absolutely. There was a, there was a lot of grace. Uh, when we went out. It just it, it felt uh, easy, which was lovely. Uh, so we had. I went out with Rebecca, and we had a word of knowledge for a guy with a bad back. So we prayed for him, and he was really open to that. Uh, word knowledge for a guy with a bad shoulder. The guy with a bad back was really open. He was like, "Wow, yeah, that's great," uh, and we had a nice chat about that. Uh, we walked past the guy on the bench. We opened up a conversation with him, prayed for him, and uh, he, you know, he said, "Oh yeah, I've moved here recently from London. I used to go to church, not so much anymore. You know, pray for a good life and that kind of stuff." So we, you know, prayed for him. It was lovely seeing him engaged because he was properly engaging. You know, you know, eyes closed and stuff like that. And you can kind of, I think you can kind of feel if someone's, you know, actually engaging. So that was really good. So we had a lot of of nice things happening. It was really good. Wonderful. Thank you very much. There we go. Rachel. Yeah, let's give Will a round of applause as well. Rachel.
3: Um, I just love that when we listen to God and he gives us some words and you look at those words and you're thinking, how's it going to happen? You get out there and I had lots of separate things down. I worked with Mario and um, one of them was Rusty Bikes and there were these three bikes they were kind of half bikes, and they were part of a theatre performers group that had been out as part of the Science Festival. And we were just talking about whether these bikes were rusty or not <laughs> when uh, out from this sort of van came this chat with another thing on my list, which was um, impressive moustache, and it was a very <laughs> ornate uh, sort of over-the-top moustache, and that was kind of like, oh, okay. And we had a real opportunity to... Hear a little bit about the business, the charity they run, going into schools all over the country and beyond. Um, and we, he was really receptive. Uh, and he said he didn't want to be selfish and ask for anything for him. But I said, Well, I'd love to pray for you. So, you know, you'll be helping me if I can bless you. And we got the chance to pray with him. But what I loved about going out with Mario was there were times when I didn't want to step forward, and he stepped forward for one of the things on my list. And there was the same that I was able to speak to someone who was on his. And we just had the opportunity to talk to five people. Um, but I really hope Tom's going to share his story because he was really inspirational right at the start and got us going out confidently with lots of stories. But he came back with a really good one.
0: <laughs>
1: there we go, I've been stood up. I'll ask Sean to share one first. Let's give
4: Rachel a round of applause.
0: Well
4: done, <clears throat> right, well, I went out with Tom and James. And it was only the second time I've ever done this. And I didn't know, have a clue really, who I was actually gonna talk to. We were making our way to a large bridge by Waitrose. And a man was coming off the bridge and walking through the park. And he was smoking a cigarette. And the Lord just drew me to him and I went up to him and said, "I, I see you're smoking a cigarette. Just to state the obvious. (laughs) And he said, uh, yes, yes, so? And I said, well, would you like to be free? And he said, you mean smoking, free from smoking? And uh, he was Polish, but that was my terrible Polish accent. (laughs) (laughs) And. He said, yes, I would. And I said, well, how long have you smoked for? And he said, about eight years. And I said, well, would you like Jesus to set you free from this addiction of smoking? And he said, yes. And then I said, well, I smoked for about 20 years. And the Lord came to me when I was sat on a park bench and he showed me this mountain of ash. And I knew what a waste my life had been. And then I prayed for him. And as I was praying for him, he started to crush the cigarette in his hand. And he said, thank you so much. And he looked like he was welling up. And uh, I just said, God loves you, God bless you. And that was it.
2: Oh, man. Oh, man.
4: Thank you, Sean.
1: So We had a really encouraging time. And as we all came back, we just said, it's so simple, isn't it, to, to go out on the streets and to approach somebody and to, uh, to ask to pray for them. It just takes courage and for us to get out of our comfort zone. And we must have spoken between the 12 of us to well over 40 people about God's love this afternoon. We just said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we all did this for an hour every week? It would just take us getting out of our comfort zones. But it's amazing um, who would be blessed
0: um, and your story and my story. There we Come go. On, um,
1: <laughs> so this was this is a really annoying one. I was walking we were walking into town um, and as we walked in. God just highlighted. I think it's been built up now, so it's going to sound very anticlimactic. I warn you, in advance. <laughs> um, but God just highlighted the games workshop to me as we walked past. And I felt a sense that I should go in. And so I asked Lord what the word was that that he wanted me to share. And he just said there was somebody inside who was struggling a bit with nihilism, feeling like their life was empty and meaningless and purposeless, Um, and that he wanted me to share that with the same care that they were kind of painting the little figurines that they were doing in the shop, God had crafted them and their their lives had purpose and meaning. Um, So I walked into the shop and there were about 12 people there. Um, So I just kind of said, excuse me, and then I spoke to all 12 of them and (laughs) told them them this word. Didn't know who it was for. Uh, And then promptly after that, I did a runner. So that's my (laughs) story.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Tom. (laughs) Bless it. Uh, I I actually think Tom has just planted a church in the Warhammer store down the road, (laughs) down down Portland Street. So that's really brilliant. Um, Andrew and Nikki said that there'd be an opportunity for one or two other testimonies as well. So, how many of you have got a testimony that is potentially shareable just by show of hands?
4: Okay,
0: that's one there. I can't see it anymore. Would you. And one over there is great. Great. do you, you two guys want to come come up now? Yep, you want to come and join us as well? just because just bring a little bit of encouragement. I know God's been doing loads of things. Some of us um, what God has done over these couple of days has probably started a process, particularly some of the stuff that Becky was pressing into today, uh, and that will perhaps take some time to work out. but um, I think we just want to honor God for what he's done already. so What's your name? It's Kevin. I'm from Kareth Community Church in Bracknell. Great job. And um, I went to the uh, prophecy session, and we had to prophesy to each other and give a Bible verse, and this guy, Stephen, who I was with, he prophesied stuff that had been in my past. He prophesied my present and stuff for my future, and Mm. to confirm that... The Bible verse he gave me um, was a Bible verse, and I said to him, "I've got that on a poster in my hall." Mm-hmm. So uh, that was really encouraging. Praise the Lord! So you're known and loved, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Oh man, yeah. bless you! Give him a round of applause. Yeah. Good. Now, you were at the actual prophecy thing, weren't you, with Liz? Is that right? Yeah, very. She's
5: very inspirational. Very, she the, is a great woman of God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got quite a lot of testimonies, but I'm just trying to think of one. Um, yeah, I want to encourage you, because um, I'm a, because you've encouraged me. Um, oh, thank you. On Thursday night, I was sat in my bedroom, and I prayed, God, will you show me a picture of what you want to do? And um, it was actually for somebody in this church, but I think it was probably general. And I looked around my room, and I saw that a drawer was half open. And I prayed, God, what are you trying to say? And I... My camera equipment is in there and I felt God say to me um, that the camera was representing vision and that he wants to open the drawer wide and let the vision out. And then, I didn't come here Friday evening, but then um, somebody in here um, texted me and said, Steve, somebody, the the word that they've had for the church here has been about opening the drawer. And so... That was was Andrew, yeah. That was Andrew. Okay, so I'm here to encourage Andrew.
0: Yeah, quite right too. (laughs) Boing. I want
5: to, and to, to say to yeah. say isn't that great that, that there are two pictures that I wasn't even yeah. here and we both got a very similar picture opening a drawer, and that God wants a release blessing. Fantastic. Uh, and then I also had a word about inheritance, mm. and then I didn't know you were talking about I, again. I, this my first session here. Mm. Um, uh, well, I went to the thing over there this afternoon, but I did, wasn't here yesterday and this morning. And you, you, um, somebody was. I had a picture on Thursday for somebody about inheritance. And then they came here, and then you shared about inheritance. So I just find that really encouraging that that there's like a... that God's speaking um, the same messages. Fantastic.
0: Let's give the Lord a round of applause, and thank you so much. Um, Becky and Tom and I went off to um, have dinner with Liz, and she kind of just gave a word for tonight as we were talking. So do you want to come up and share that? If you don't know Liz Evans, Liz is a great prophetic minister and runs a ministry called LoveHasAVoice.org, if you want to look her up. And um, yeah, just share what you what you felt for tonight.
6: Yeah, well, um, so Becky said over dinner, hey, what do you see for this evening? And I saw you all as coals, you were black coals. And as these guys have just been ministering and blessing and pouring what they've got, you started to glow. Oh. And then as they kept going, you burst into sort of little bits of flame. But I saw God looking down and thinking, well, that's pretty good, but it's not really what I wanted for these people because these people are of such value, you're of such influence, you're of such potential. And I saw him then put his hand through Paul and Becky and the guys here, and even through the worship team, they've been going to a different level today in anointing. And I saw his finger come down and he just touched your coals and they became gold And as you went out, it was like the fire became who you were and surrounded you. But you'd been satisfied. Hey, we've had a little tingle. I feel a little bit on fire. Did you feel that touch of God? God saying, no, 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 you don't get the point. The point is you carry the glory and the gold and the kabod of the almighty God. And you go back. And when you went back to your place, you just went like this. And all your gold went into dust. And wherever you went, the glory and the kabod and the weight of God began to fall into the situations you were in and shape them. And it ended up like the little paw of the lion, or big paw of the lion, where you were. So the order of God was coming. Quick interpretation. You've known a lot. You've known a touch. You think that's enough. Tonight God's going to give you more. He's changing you into gold and giving you glory that is going to transform the situations where you are.
0: Oh man, oh man. Thanks Liz. You know, it's one of the massive values in New Wine that we don't know if we've had a good conference until we see what comes afterwards. So New Wine, we, we, we believe it's the local church that changes the nation. And so any time that we gather, it's for what God will do after we scatter. So we often talk about other 50 weeks so what, you know, we, we come together, we have a great couple of weeks in the summer, or we come together for an event during the year, but what's, what's, what's fruit from that? Well, the fruit is actually local churches coming alive and doing it into their local communities. And uh, we, we really started this time together with quite an ambitious, challenging um, thing about let's step into what Jesus is restoring for us, which is God's original created intention, that, that we would understand our identity as his image bearers. And that doesn't just mean that the way we're created, we reflect him, but it's this call to represent him and to take his kingdom out and to extend it into the earth. Um, And that means that we have this kind of dual invitation. One is to intimacy, which we love and we enjoy and we've experienced again. But then from that intimacy, we know who we are and so we go and live out and work out what we are. And there's this wonderful way that actually as we go and we start to do with the Father that we're actually closer than ever. Yeah, even, even in the going and in the authority, we are coming into a fresh intimacy. And there's an intimacy for you with Jesus that lies with getting out of the boat and going in to the adventure with the Lord. And uh, I, I hope that your faith has been raised slightly, that actually you can do that. That um, just like Peter, we're seeing the Lord do something a little bit out of our experience, a little bit scary in some ways. And there's something in us that says, I want to be where you are, Jesus. You know, I I want to have the experience that I've read about that others have had. I want to have the experience that I read about in the scripture. And whenever that stirring comes up in our hearts, the Lord is actually saying to you, come. Come, you're invited. And all that holds us back, well, those are things we just need to trust him for and overcome. Whether it's head or heart or... Tonight, particularly fear, I think, is, is what the Lord wants us to defeat tonight or address tonight. Because... All these people um, who've come up and given a testimony, they, they took a step of faith and they had to overcome some fear. And actually, now they have a testimony. It's always going to be like that. I've got this great story that I love to share um, of um, this uh, isolated rural vicarage. Um, uh, and the vicar's wife receives the letter that she was you know, fearful of ever receiving, which comes from the bishop and says, I am going to come and stay at your vicarage for an entire week so I can visit all the churches of that region. So she thought, oh no, we've got the bishop who's going to stay with us for a week. And so she goes into overkill mode, um, just into overdrive, and she starts cleaning the house from top to bottom, and she puts a note on the door of the guest room to the kids, you know, do not go in here, this is going to keep this guest room nice and tidy. And then she goes sort of you know, baking, and the, the, the pantry starts to fill up with, with all of these Tupperware containers, and they've got little labels on them: "Don't eat this. This is when the bishop comes," and you know all the sorts of preparations that you do when you're a bit afraid of the person who's coming to stay. And what happens is the great and terrible day of the bishop's arrival comes, and uh, it actually seems to go off quite well. So for the week that he's with them, he goes off and he visits all these other places, and. Uh, and and then you know the week is, is gone and, and he has gone off. And so she relaxes, she's thinking, Oh, amazing, fantastic. And what happens is she goes into the guest room where the bishop was staying and she's just tidying up. And um, she realizes that the stack of towels that she put out for him to use is completely untouched. So he's he's been with them for a week and he clearly hasn't washed. And she thinks, that's a bit weird. And so she picks up the towels to put them back into the airing cup, and as she does it, a little note falls out. And the note's in her own handwriting, and it says, if you touch these towels, I'll break your neck. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> um, it's really important sometimes to know what the purpose of the message is, isn't it? Um, and actually, also the tone of voice. Yeah, who's this for? What's the tone of voice? And I just wanted to direct our thoughts back for a few minutes before we do some more ministry, back to the passage that we looked at about Jesus walking on the water. So back in Matthew 14 and verse 27, Peter, uh, Jesus says, take courage, it's me, don't be afraid. And Peter says, well, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And we know this story really well. We know the next bit. This is the bit that we remember. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now, I just want to suggest that the tone of voice that you hear Jesus say those words in is really significant. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Some of us, you'll hear that as a sort of angry tone. You have little faith, I'm so frustrated with you. you know, why did you doubt? Some of you, you'll hear that as a kind of long suffering, slightly frustrated, resigned kind of tone. You know, you of little faith. You know, oh, why, why did you doubt? Here we go again. That sort of thing. And I just want to suggest that neither of those tones is actually the tone that the Lord Jesus used. And the reason for thinking that is as you go through this passage and every time Jesus speaks, he speaks with such amazing love, compassion and grace. I've got a red letter Bible here so I can see it quite easily. But the, the disciples accuse Jesus of being an unholy spirit. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. And then Jesus says immediately... Take courage, it's me, don't be afraid. Peter gives this rather bold and possibly slightly arrogant and foolish claim that, Lord, if it's you, you can make it, me do it as well. I'm quite happy to come out there, Jesus. And we, we thought this morning about all the things that Jesus could say in answer to that question. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. But Jesus just graciously says, come, come. There's so many things he could have said, but he invites Peter and says, just come and be with me. So I think what we have in uh, verse 31 where Jesus says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I, I I think it's affectionate encouragement rather than rebuke. And it's really important that we know that because if we are going to step out of the metaphorical boat of the safety comfort zone that we live in, if we're going to step out of the boat, we're going to get wet hair, aren't we? We are going to have to learn how to do what doesn't come easily or naturally to us, um, you know, we often have used a phrase in New Wine circles of um, "what we want to be is naturally supernatural." It's a great phrase. I, I love that phrase um, because what we're actually saying is, "Don't be weird, okay? Just don't be weird. Just, just be normal and natural about God, and uh, and just you'll re- reveal God for that through that." It's equipping, by the way. If you make um, operating in the things of the spirit look easy, you release other people to do it. If you make it look difficult, you actually disable other people from doing it. So if you really have a heart for other people to do it, try and do it as simply, normally and naturally as you can and just cut out the weirdness. So I totally endorse that phrase, naturally supernatural. However, that's not my experience of stepping into the supernatural and I suggest to you a far more helpful phrase would be awkwardly supernatural. Because you're going to have to start off being awkwardly supernatural if you're ever going to become more natural in being supernatural. And that's the way we learn things, isn't it? You know, the, the way that we grow is that we try and we fail, and we try again slightly better, having learned from the failure. And you know this, this is how children learn to walk. You know, when your little child becomes, you know, a toddler, they stand up, you're very excited, they take a couple of steps and then they fall back down. Now, when they fall back down, you don't conclude, oh, dear, I've got one that doesn't walk. You, know, you just stay down there, darling, and scoot around on your bum for the rest of your life. You, know, you never conclude that. You go, well, that's normal, isn't it? Nobody gets it right first time. When you were riding a bike, you know, to start off with, you weren't actually really riding at all. You couldn't have fallen over if you tried, because you've got stabilizers. And then what happens is you take the stabilizers off, and you think you're doing it, but actually your father's running along behind you holding the seat. You know? And then there comes a time, actually, sometimes without you really realizing that anything has changed, where the father just gives you a shove and lets go, and you are doing it. But you're probably going to fall off fairly soon. But how do you do it? Well, you learn by trying. That's why I think it says um, in the Proverbs, though a righteous person falls seven times, yet will they get up. So in other words, they're not going to be adjusting their expectation and their faith to the level of their experience. They believe that what God has said is true, and so if they, don't, if they don't experience it, they get up and try again until they do experience it because my experience doesn't tell me what's true. My faith tells me what's true. And, and I, want my, I want to set my faith to the level of my expectation through the Scripture, not through my impoverished experience in my own life. So if we're going to go, what we need to do is we need to try. Jordan Singh was mentioned earlier. He's going to be at New Wine Week 1. would um, probably come for day tickets for that one. But he will also be there at the start of Week 2. And um, his book is really, really good. But in he, it, he writes that faith is spelt T-R-Y. John Wimber used to say faith is spelled R-I-S-K. There's something risky about faith. It's, it's, there's something about giving it a go. Jesus says that actually that's how we grow. You know, if if you're faithful in the little things, then you get the greater ones. And so for us, if we want to kind of step into this this lifestyle of the supernatural, and if we want to step into a ministry of signs and wonders, if we want to start having testimonies which are ours, not just the ones we heard about or read about, then we're going to have to give it a go. And that's how, how we grow. And so... I think it's really important that we don't settle for an impaired experience of God, that we don't let the problems of our heart and head um, overcome us. I think if we want to go in any kind of sustained outward ministry, we need to do an inward journey as well. But we can't just do the inward journey without coming out and putting it into practice on the outside. So we need to do whatever it takes to get out of the boat and start trying to do the things that Jesus invites us into. And I just wanted to to share three really simple things as we kind of bring this conference time into land. So back into the scripture, Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. Now, the first thing that you need to know is that Peter did not wait for and was not given perfect conditions. I think a lot of us think that if God's going to use me, he's going to use me after I've been soaking it in over a third person. Or, I, you know, if, if perhaps I could go to a New Wine Summer Conference and have spend an entire week surrounded by lovely Christians and, you know, in the presence of worship and teaching and ministry for a whole week, maybe after that kind of charge up at the end of the week, possibly God might use me. But actually, no, God uses the available. There's a, a great passage that um, Becky and I sometimes speak on when we do just some basic training on the prophetic, which is, which is just looking at how Jesus does it in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. And um, one of the things that we noticed was Jesus in that passage learns that the Pharisees have taken note of him. And so he has to leave Judea and go back to Galilee. To get to Galilee, he has to go through Samaria, which is enemy territory. He then comes to a place called, in Samaria called Sychar, which is its a kind of pun in, in the original language. It means the end of the road, but it also is a synonym for drunkenness. It's not a great town to go to. It says that Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from the journey, and he sat down by the well. It was about noon, so it's the hottest part of the day. And the disciples go off to buy him food so he's hungry. Pretty much everything is wrong in Jesus' life at this moment. He he is experiencing opposition. He is in enemy territory. He is hungry. He is tired. He is hot. He is alone. That's when the Father starts to speak to him about a woman who's coming up at a strange time of day. You know, God will speak to whoever's available, whatever state you're in. Uh, You know, there are times when I've seen the Lord use me... More powerfully than he normally does. And those have been times when my faith has been very low. Um, where you know I'm probably not in a place where I would expect God to use me. I've you know, offered to pray for somebody. Well I've agreed to pray for somebody through gritted teeth. Because it's the Christian thing to do. And yet God has just turned up. And he's blessed someone. And it's been like Lord that's just so humbling. Because I, I know that's not about me being in a great place. I know that's about At the very least, all I've offered in here, at the very most, all I've offered in here is, I'm just available. I was willing to give it a go. It's all about him, isn't it? So Peter doesn't experience calm waters to walk upon. When he looks out of the boat, he sees waves that are bouncing up and down. In actual fact, the the waves don't die down until he gets back into the boat with Jesus, um, back in verse 32. Verse 32. So, if you're going to step out, don't wait for perfect conditions. You know, if you, if you are here and you're thinking, you know, I'm i actually quite convicted about this. You know, there is a, there is an aspect of being a Christian that I want to explore more. This this going out adventuring with Jesus, this carrying authority, this getting out of the boat, this putting the stuff into practice, and partnering with the Father in doing what the the Father's business is to save the world. If that kind of like strikes a chord with you, don't wait for perfect conditions. Just pray God will give you opportunities that you can see and go for it when they come. That's how you grow. You know, we, we grow by being faithful in little things. Little obediences, if we're faithful in the little things, God will give us the greater ones. So that's the first thing. Peter didn't wait for and he wasn't given perfect conditions. The second thing I really note from this passage is that Peter actually did walk on the water. Uh, you know, it frustrates me that this passage in my Bible is called Jesus walks on water. I would love this passage to read, Peter walks on water. I suspect if it wasn't labelled, Peter walks on water, what the editors would probably put, and what most of us think this story teaches, is Peter finds out he can't walk on water. This passage would, would be, in most people's Bible, be called, Peter sinks. Well, that's not a massive revelation. I don't need the scripture for that. The point is, Peter actually did walk upon the water. His mistake was not in getting out of the boat. His his mistake was not focusing upon Jesus. It was when he lost his focus upon Jesus, that's where he started to fall and to fail. Because Peter actually had a testimony of walking on water. There were 11 chickens in the boat that didn't have that testimony. And I think that this is recorded to tell us what is possible. The reason this is in the Bible is because it means that ordinary people like you and me when we obey God, where we step out into God's invitations, we can do the impossible. The supernatural is a possibility for us. In fact, more than that, the supernatural is an invitation and a call for us. Peter walked on the water. But we know Peter sank, and we, he sank because he didn't keep his focus upon Jesus. But the, th- the third thing then is quite an important one. Jesus didn't abandon Peter. When he lost his focus. So Peter begins to sink. He cries out. Lord save me. Immediately. Now just just go through this passage again. And look how many times it says. Immediately Jesus. That's his heart. Jesus' heart is to come to our aid. He never lets us taste the pain of our mistake. He, He will move towards us immediately. Doesn't punish us in that way. Jesus didn't abandon Peter immediately he reached out his hand and caught him failure isn't final a lot of us think when we have when we experience failure we think that's what we become you know we experience failure and so we conclude i am a failure whereas a more biblical understanding would be to experience failure and say i failed but i'm not a failure Failure is an event, not an identity. And so we mustn't take that that identity on. Remember the identity that Jesus had for Peter? Rock. Solid. Reliable. You can build something upon this. And Jesus never abandoned him, even though we know, actually, as we read on in the story, that Peter is going to abandon Jesus far worse than his failures to that point. And yet Jesus has said from the beginning, you are a rock. I am going to build my church upon this, upon your character, upon your faith, upon your boldness, your willingness to say yes to me. And Jesus kept on loving him and encouraging him and he restored him. And Jesus eventually is able to minister to Peter in a way that Peter becomes that person that Jesus has said from the off that he is. And that's the vision for discipleship because discipleship, it is is both this intimacy and this authority. So it is being saved and healed. But it also is being empowered and sent. And we're never going to become the people that Jesus wants us to be until we use both parts of that dynamic. Because there, there will be times when you need the safety and security of the boat. Jesus takes Peter back to the boat. Have you noticed that? And calms the storm. And they're, they're just like struck by his power and they, they worship him. There will be times when the Lord will say, I want to get you back in the boat. We're going to have a peaceful time. We're going to minister to you. But let me just sort of gently say there are things about the Lord you will never discover until you summon up your courage and you step out of the boat. There are, there are aspects of, of his character and his love for you. And there are ways in which you can grow in your relationship with him. him. There are ways in which you will understand who you are in him. And you will never discover them until you summon up your courage and get out of the boat. And and you just have to give it a go. You just have to give it a go. Um, The great Baptist preacher, C.H. Spurgeon, said Dear friends, be great believers. Be great believers. A little faith will get your souls into heaven, but great faith will get heaven into your souls. You know, we, we're not meant to scrape into heaven. The whole point of, of us being saved, it is that it starts now. You know, um, I often point out there's a, uh, an American preacher that Becky and I used to listen to regularly. And he had this great phrase. That he said, the best thing you can do for a Christian is baptize them and then shoot them. Very, very f- famous and easy to remember a phrase. Best thing you can do for a Christian is baptize them and shoot them. And his point was, basically, that once you've got somebody saved and solid in their faith, better to send them to heaven, right? I mean, that is a better place, isn't it? And, and so, you know, it's just like baptize them, get them secure in their faith, and shoot them so they can go and start enjoying it. And it's a serious point, actually. So wh- why... Why would a good and loving God not take us to heaven straight away? Yeah? I mean, the moment you say yes to God, wouldn't it be great if you just like Enoch, you get taken up and you know, you're, you're up with the Lord? Why are we still here? The reason we're still here is because there's work for us to do. Because it's not just about us. So yes, he loves us and he wants us to be in heaven with him eternity. But actually, there's a whole bunch of other people that he loves as well. And he wants us now to be part of... Of their salvation, So that means that actually as we go through our Christian life, the enemy will change his tactics towards us. To start off with, when we're not in relationship with God, the enemy will be blinding our eyes to who God is and preventing us from seeing the glory of God. And he tries to prevent everything he can do to stop us from getting into relationship with God so that we can step into eternal life. Once we have come to know who God is through Jesus and we've given our lives to him... Nobody can snatch us from Jesus' hands. So what the enemy does is he changes his tactics. He can't stop you from going to heaven anymore. He just tries to make sure you don't take anybody with you when you do. So what he does is he tries to make you ineffective and unproductive in your faith. He tries to blind you of who you are now. He tries to um, tell you, yeah, you've become a Christian, but nothing's changed. You're just the same person you were before. So yes, you've become a Christian and you know there's these things that the Bible talks about, but they're not for you. you know, there are a few special people, but you're not one of those. And he will do anything he can because actually you terrify hell. Creation is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. The 70 came back from their mission trip and they said, Lord, we, even the demons submit to us in your lane. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I think what it is, is as we, as we discover who we are and we step into it, amazing things start to happen. And, and actually, if, if, if Christians across the world knew who they were in Christ and we rose up into that potential, then, yeah, then we would see Satan fall like lightning. But what we need to do is we, we need to capture this vision for our lives. And then when I was um, just finishing putting together the, the Walking on Water book, I saw this picture of a a mass stranding of whales. It's probably on the slideshow. This is really sad, isn't it? This happens from time to time. This was um, uh, in New Zealand, 400 whales were beached. And um, it it happens quite a lot, actually. It's not always reported that much, but when it does, it's such a tragedy. These incredible creatures, uh, communities will turn out, and they'll try and drag them back out into the sea, or they'll throw buckets of water over them to try and keep them alive. Um, but because it just feels so wrong, doesn't it? But they're so big that often you can't get them back, and so they die. There are so many theories as to why this happens. There's over 200 theories. Nobody knows quite why. Some people say it's spun, uh, sun uh, spots. Some people say it's like it's the um, variations in the Earth's magnetic field. Some people say it's military sonar. Uh, some people say it's uh, the oil industry, you know, pile driving under the water. Um, some people say it's uh, underwater earthquakes messing up the inner ear of the whales. There's all sorts of reasons that people give for why these things might happen. Usually the, the simplest reason is the best. And the simplest reason that is often given is this. Whales really like sardines. They really like sardines. It's like their favourite bit of food. And it, most of the time they have to do with krill. But when they see the sardines, they love it. And and what happens is these massive creatures go after these tiny things. And and the sardines just go into the shallow waters and the whales compounding along afterward. And of course, the sardines can navigate the shallow waters, but the whales can't. And then they end up beached as a result. And when I heard about that, it just spoke to me. I just felt the Lord say to me, you know, that is a picture of humanity. We are... Majestic and glorious creatures and yet we chase after things that we are not they're not worthy of us we're so satisfied in the tiny things and we chase after those little things and we need to get a big vision again of who we are what we're called to of the, the wonder of what it is that that God has said to us when we're made in the image and the likeness of God we have that call to represent him to his creation. If we chase after smaller things, we may waste our lives as if we've run them up on a beach. So we need to get out of the boat and we need to get a little bit bolder. And of course, as as we do that, we need to encourage each other. Our call is to reign with him in life. But we don't step into that place easily. Um, I know a lot of you will be aware of the Hillsong song, Oceans. You know, you call me out upon the water. Yeah, great song. Every time we kind of like talk on this, somebody wants to sing it afterwards, um, because it actually speaks to this heart. It, you know, I, and I think that's in the heart of a lot of Christians now. There is this desire to step into more. We sense that God is calling us out into the water. That we've had prophetic words about out of the harbour into the deep seas, because we want that. We're made for that, and we just need to believe it and step into it. So I would imagine, though, the thing that's holding you back, beyond anything else, is fear. And I I'd, I'd felt that tonight I should just end with ministering into that. And um, we didn't talk to the worship band about this, but just to be singing that song, you know, sing it sing a little louder. Do you remember? Sing my hallelujah. I think it says, fear no longer has a hold on me. And I believe that's the way God wants to leave us today. When I um, tell my stories to the church, uh, you know when I give my my kind of stories of stepping out and giving it a go, the ones that seem to liberate them more than anything else are the stories of where it went horribly wrong, not my best ones, in other words um, and uh, a few years ago, um, I, I was in a season where ministry was incredibly demanding, and um, I, I just was, I just was really, really stretched and I went to a conference at this conference there was a a great talk that was given, which was called Leading on Empty, about a, you know, given by an American pastor who had had a massive burnout, and had written this book in his recovery called Leading on Empty. And so I got this book and put it on my desk. Apparently, it doesn't work if you just put it on your desk. <laughs> uh, and so <laughs> um, what happened was, um, fortunately, I have a, li- a wife who is invested in me being healthy, so... She took the book, read it, highlighted the passages that applied to me, gave it back to me and said, this is what you want to do. So Not this is what you want to do. She actually said, this is what you're going to do. And um, there was all sorts of stuff in there. And, and some of it was really um, helpful stuff about taking time away, looking at the dashboards of your life so that you're not just looking at you know, your spiritual life, but you're thinking about your physical, your emotional, financial, all the different areas of our lives. And, um, and she said, you need to book in a leading on empty day on a regular basis. So, so I did, I booked it in my diary. Now, the problem is that um, by, by nature personality, I am an extrovert activist, okay? So going away on my own to be quiet is a complete nightmare. That does not sound like fun at all. So I had this thing in my diary, this leading on empty retreat day, and I planned nothing for it. And I got to the day before and I thought, oh dear, I've got, I've got this retreat day booked in my diary, what am I going to do? I do there, there's no retreat house I could think I could go to. I couldn't arrange anything. So I, I decided in the end, what I'm going to do is I'm going to fill my, my uh, case full of books on healing, and I'm going to go to Westfield Stratford City, which is the biggest shopping center in Europe, and I'm going to sit in the food court and read some books. So I'm the only person who's ever done a monastic spiritual retreat in, in the middle of thousands of people. So so I did that, and um, went down there, and um, had a McDonald's pancake breakfast, and then you know I'm having a great time actually. I'm reading, I've got the buzz of people around me, so I'm a happy little camper, and uh, I'm reading all these books on healing. And as I'm reading these books on healing, I'm just you know faith is rising. I'm going, you know, looking around, stuff like yeah, 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 this is really good. Um, And I got to about lunchtime, and I thought, you know. I need to, I'm just going around and I'm going to march around and pray this out with the Lord. And and then I'd, I'd had this little thought. Actually, if I go back now, I could be at home when the kids come home, which would be really nice. Um, and, and that would know, that, be great. And I'll just finish off the rest of my retreat day at home. So before I'm going to go home, I thought I'll go to the loo. Now, as it is in many shopping centres, the loo is off the food court, down a really long corridor. So... Uh, I'm I'm kind of like walking towards it. I'm saying, Lord, I'm really up for this. If you give me an opportunity to pray for somebody that's sick, I'm going to go for it. And I come into this corridor leading to the loose. And no word of a lie, everybody coming the other way is either on crutches or in a wheelchair or or has got a stick. I mean, it was amazing. It was like the stroke club was having an outing. It It was like... And I was completely overwhelmed by all these people coming towards me. And so I completely fluffed it. And, oh, oh, oh. Um, and so when I'd finished in the loo, I, I, I was thinking, you know, I don't know if I should have taken that opportunity. Maybe that was just not the right place. But Lord, if you give me another chance, you know, if you give me another chance, Lord, I, I, I promise I'll go for it. So I came out of, out of the toilets and I'm beginning the long walk back down the corridor. And as I do that, a little black lady on a crutch comes hobbling in. I think, she's the one. Right, this is it. Um, and I'm kind of walking towards her, trying to catch her eye. Can't catch her eye because we're still a long way away. And I'm just about to sort of think, right, what am I gonna t- how am I going to start this? When she turns into the disabled toilets. So, okay, all right, clearly not the one. Um, and I, I walk, carry on, I walk out of the corridor. And as I'm walking out of the corridor, I think, well, I haven't got anything else to do. I might as well wait for her. So I think, okay, I'll go back in. And then I go back in, I'm waiting for her, and I think, this is a bit weird, isn't it? I'm waiting. <laughs> Fortunately, there were other people there waiting for their significant others to come out. So, um, so I'm kind of like sitting there, and um, she doesn't come out. I mean, it's like 10 minutes, 12 minutes, and I'm thinking she's died in there or something. you know? So, uh, but I'm just about to give out, and she comes out. So I'm like, okay, right, that's it. Okay, this is the time, Lord. Okay, So... She's coming down, and I'm thinking, try and look non-threatening and normal. Which, which if you you try to look non-threatening and normal, you don't. (laughs) You look very threatening and very weird. You know, hello. (laughs) Um, And as she's coming down, I'm trying to catch her eye, and thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? And she gets really close to me, and I try to catch her eye, look look normal and non-threatening, and I say, Oh, that looks really painful. How are you? And she's a bit surprised, and she said, Oh, you're right. It is quite painful. So I said, well look, I've got the speech prepared by now because I've had like three goes at starting it. Um, So I now go, well look, I'm a Christian. I've been reading loads of books about how Jesus heals the sick today. Um, I'm just learning in this, um, but I really believe that if you let me pray for you, God will do something. I'd love to pray for you. Can I do that? And she said, no, thank you. I'm a Jehovah's witness. (laughs) And then she starts hobbling off. So I think, okay, she's not the one. so I, I hobble off because um, I'm a lot faster than she is. So I have to pass her by, you know. Um, <laughs> and I come out of the, I come out of the, um, the, the, the corridor. And as I come out of the corridor, I am fuming with God. I mean, I'm not happy, and I'm basically going to going to the Lord. What was that all about? Now I don't hear the Lord really clearly very often. Most of the time I'm sort of feeling after it, got a little bit of a sense of what he might be saying. This is one of those times where I heard him speak really clearly and I'm going, Lord, what was that about? The Lord said to me really clearly, it'll be a lot easier next time. (laughs) It's like, well, thanks, Lord. Not what I wanted to hear. And then as I started thinking about it, I thought, you know, that's right. I took a risk, I took a step, didn't kill me. You know, it was slightly embarrassing. It gave me a funny story to tell the church. Maybe that was right. Maybe she was the one. Maybe the the Lord would have healed her, saved her, raptured her. I don't know. And and she just decided in the moment, no, I don't want this. He looks weird. Or, you know, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I'm going to use that to deflect him. I don't really want to engage with Jesus today. I don't know what it was. but, But I knew that the Lord was pleased that I gave it a go. And I knew that that was important for me, that actually stepping out and making myself look a little foolish was going to somehow liberate me. And, and the really interesting thing is, it was easier a couple of days later. A couple of days later, I found myself on a tube, got to a particular point. That, um, everybody on the tube left except leaving me and a guy who clearly needs prayer. And I, I sort of went through the whole speech again and said, you know, would you like me to pray for you? And he said, yeah, I'd love you to pray for me. And I, I prayed for him and he was really touched. It's not going to kill you. It's not going to kill you. So the, the enemy binds us with fears. And he, he, he makes us think that if we go for it and it isn't absolutely perfect, then we're going to set back the cause of the gospel and we're going to feel absolutely terrible. And the truth is we've just got to get over it. John Wimber prayed, so he, he writes in Power Healing, he prayed for 100 people before anybody ever got healed. And when somebody got healed, the first thing he said was, are you sure? <laughs> you know, because we set, we set our expectation by our faith, not our experience. And we learn to live in that gap and we go, you know, I'm not there yet, but I am keep trying. And I know the people that just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, because they believe that God does it, start seeing it. We just need to get over those fears. So that would be a great way for us to end our time tonight, wouldn't it? To pray. To pray. Now, we might start a time of ministry that possibly runs after Becky and I have gone off because we, we live three hours away. So, Becky and I and Tom, we're going to jump in the car fairly close to wrap up time because tomorrow is a great day in church, isn't it? Now, we've got four services that I'm at tomorrow. Pentecost tomorrow, it's gonna be full on, it's another day for us to to come again and ask the Lord to fill us up. But why is he doing that? The point of Sunday is Monday. The point of today is what comes after. You know, we 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 are we're getting revelation from God as to who we are and who he is. We're getting anointing and power and authority and equipping, and and the issue all the time is what are you gonna do with it? In the beginning, the Lord put us on the earth to be his stewards. And I've come to a revelation about stewardship in the last couple of years that that when Jesus talks about stewardship, he doesn't commend the person who simply gave back what he'd been given. You remember the story? They're stewarding the talents. The one who says, here it is, safe and sound, haven't used it, not commended. The ones who are commended are the ones who take what they've been given and they work it and they take risks. And actually taking the risk with Jesus ultimately is going to pay off. So they multiply it. Being a steward is about taking what God has given you and working it for His benefit, His praise, His glory. It's about being called into the Father's business and seeing business prosper. And to do that, we just need to get over the fear of failure. Becky spoke about it in the identity seminar that in 1 John 4, it says, Perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The biggest fear, the one that really matters, is not fear of spiders or fear of heights or fear of anything else like that. The fear that the enemy uses to bind us is the fear that if we give it a go and it doesn't work, God will be displeased with us. And the Apostle John says, if you still think like that, you don't know perfect love. Perfect love casts out that fear. Perfect love is, I'm an unconditionally loved son or daughter of God. I can give it a go because God loves it when I try. God loves it when I step out in faith. He's almost not too worried about our results. He just loves our obedience, our faithfulness. God loves those who show up and give it a go. So let's just pray that we can boot the enemy out, break his fears and be in that place where we can give it a go and we can be free whatever the Lord shows us to do in the week and the month ahead. That we can go for it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Great. Why don't we stand up if we're able? Again, nothing holy about it, but if you're able to do it, it's a change of posture. It's useful. Signifies we're moving into a slightly different mode of receiving. We're going to engage now, not with words, but we're going to engage with the presence of the Lord in ministry. And again, just open your hands. Let me put it this way. What would you do for God if you had no fear? What would your Christian life look like if you were not afraid at all? And if it's different from what it looks like now, then that fear is a bondage. That fear has not come from God, has it? So in other words, it shouldn't be there. If you can envisage and long for a Christian life that's different because fear has been booted out of your life, that's what we need to pray for right now. So Lord, we ask you to come. Holy Spirit, we just want to thank you for your beautiful presence. The way that you've loved us and held us and touched us and freed us over our time together. And we ask you, Lord, to come again in, in power. And I pray, Lord, that you would break off the chains of fear. Lord, anything that holds us back from stepping out. And we love the fact that, the, that Peter just believed that if you wanted him to, he could. And we, we pray for more of that in our own lives, Lord. For some of us, it'll be a fear of man. For others, it might be a fear of failure. It might be a fear of what you'll conclude about yourself. It might even be a fear of God. That he might be angry or disappointed. And your heavenly Father, not angry with you in that way. Not disappointed when you give it a go. I pray Lord freedom from fear and let's ask the Lord now that you would plant courage and boldness in every heart so let the Lord show you what you're afraid of and if you can name it and acknowledge it before the Lord he can break it and the Lord deals with stuff that we bring to him and the more honest we can be, the more powerful his spirit will work to set us free. You now I can see the spirit moving. And just say, Yeah, Lord, set me free. Set me free. I don't want to be controlled by this anymore. You know, breaking fear is a bit like choosing to forgive. You're probably going to have to keep doing it until it becomes natural. But this this can be a moment where something's broken. And then perhaps you can step into that new freedom as he gives you opportunities. And he will give you baby steps. He'll give you baby steps. He'll he'll show you the little things and as you're faithful in them, you'll come into the greater things. And if that's your heart, then um, let's keep engaged with God wherever we are. But if you'd like someone to pray for you more easily, then just come and step out. And we'll make this for you a bit of a commissioning tonight. We'll agree that chains of fear be broken in your life. That authority and power from the Lord will be given to you afresh again tonight. I mean, the Lord would put his seal on things that he's been doing over our time together.